So, it's over. After four months of fear and betrayal and loneliness, I'm free again. I've never been so happy to be blinded by the sun in my life, not even when I was rescued from the sea caves. The nice fellow whose field provided an unintentional landing strip for us helped get us to the nearby town. Neville desperately needed a hospital. According to Rory, he inhaled dangerous levels of the gas the guards had pumped into the lower level. We were lucky enough that the local hospital had a ventilator free, and River was able to spin some story with Rory and Andrew about a toxic spill and the EPA. I don't know. I was having a hard time focusing on much of anything. Rory left his information with the doctors at that hospital, and we headed home to the Bay Area. We took a commercial flight back, and I had my very first panic attack on an airplane. That was intensely unpleasant, and not something I want to dwell on at the moment. I'll deal with that another time. Regardless, we did finally make it back to Travis Air Force Base, where everyone reconnected with their vehicles. River went home after making me promise to check in frequently. Rory refused to let me leave until he had done a full workup on me. After the reference to microdosing, he was very keen on making sure he got blood tests started, and he wanted to make sure he got me started on a nutritional IV. Also, he was very fixated on my hand, the one I punched the mirror with. I guess that was part of how they knew I was alive. That enumeration of Chiramon from Idaho. The tests took an eon to run, and every test seemed to lead to three more. Rory and I took the chance to catch up properly. He told me about Andrew and becoming engaged, which might be the most precious thing I've heard in a long time. Yes, he told me in the plane, or at least referenced it, but my brain was drenched in weird chemicals, and it felt like the first time I'd heard. I told him about Arizona, with Rooster chiming in now and again with wry comments, and what happened in Timber Cove. I figured the context would be helpful with, well, with everything we discovered. I know what he was doing. Rory, that is. Rooster wasn't at all subtle about being super protective, keeping himself between me and every door we came across. I've spent enough time around shrinks to know when someone is doing psychoanalysis on me, and working to help keep me calm. He started on the plane, coming and sitting next to me when I was in full panic attack mode to help talk me down, and he continued through the examination in Travis. He was giving me space to talk, to process everything that happened to me over the past four months. I'm not ready for that yet. I'm still thinking through everything and trying to forget my younger face on the bodies floating in that goo. Still, it felt good to talk, to get Rory up to speed on what he missed in Arizona. It was a chance to reconnect, something I desperately needed after the months away. Finally, Rory let Rooster take me home, with assurances that he would tell me any test results. The car ride was very quiet, with only a few exchanged comments now and again. That was fine. I was pretty talked out by then, ready to get some sleep in a bed that didn't have a camera staring down at me. You're listening to The Redacted Reports, a Delta Green podcast.
You arrive back at the house, and the duplex sits calmly as it welcomes you. The pride flags are flying outside as normal. The house seems to have been repaired from any of the damage that was done on that horrible day. It seems as though the house is waiting for you. I sit in the truck for a couple of minutes just looking at the door and then kind of run a hand through my hair and look over at Rooster. Well, I think this is where I get off. I mean, that's a personal thing I'm not going to ask. Oh, you know what? Never mind. Would, would you mind walking me to the door? Um, I don't know. We're back after curfew. Your parents might hear us. I will actually kill you. Okay, fine. At least tell me this. Hmm. Your neighbors put up Christmas lights, and they're not rainbow. They're just white. It feels like they missed something here. Ask them about it sometime. The, the, the lights that they always use uh, have a color changer doohickey thing. I don't know. They're more technical about it than I am. Oh, do they have the whole thing that, like, syncs up with music? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. We put on a show for the neighborhood. Hopefully not in the place you get off. Just shake my head, pop the truck door open, and step out, closing the door behind me. I feel weird because it feels like when someone is picking me up from the airport and bringing me home, but I don't have any luggage to grab. So to sort of awkwardly shove my hands into the secondhand jeans that we were able to find that fit me and walk up toward the door. I follow a couple steps back in a sort of honor guard position. Still there but letting her take her own pace. You make it to the three steps that lead up to the porch. Even though the house seems quiet and the lights are on and it seems welcoming, there is this ever-present force in front of you, almost as though there is a palpable fog that you're about to walk through. Your right foot lifts and steps on that first step and it seems as though that you're walking into something that's even thicker. You make it to the front door, and you see that the door has been completely repaired, and it looks like there is a new lock set up. I look at it and then look back at Rooster. My shoulders are super tense, and I can feel the tension vibrating through my body, but I try to put on some facsimile of a smile as I ask, So, uh, did someone hand you the extra key, or do I need to go in through a window? Oh, please don't do that. We already fixed the windows. I don't want you jimmying those things again. You helped fix the windows. My... My parents owned a hardware store. I'm good at this shit. Here. And I pull out a key ring. That one's for the knob. That's for the deadbolt. We got them separate keys for extra security. The fuzzy dice is for fun. <laughs> yeah, that works. Oh, thank you. And Rowan is trying really hard to try and maintain the facade at the moment, but for some reason, being told that the windows got fixed just hit her the right way. So, takes the keys and, uh, right, this one for this one, this one, okay. And I unlock the door and push it open. The door opens with ease, and inside you see that the house also has been cleaned. Things are where they should be, or where they might should be. Like someone else has moved your stuff, but put it away where, where they thought it would go. You look down at the keys and you see that it is a fuzzy D20 and drilled through the one is where the pin is. 
So I guess you can't roll a one with these dice. That seems appropriate. And I hook my thumb through the connecting chain and try to step into the duplex. As you try to move into the foyer, it seems though there's a barrier there. Your foot hovers above the door jamb, but you can't seem to put it down. Almost as though that you're swimming in some kind of force field that just does not want to let you enter. You realize that you're sweating a little bit, but it's a little cold and your breath has picked up. You're breathing a little bit quicker now. Your hands are clammy and your foot just does not want to put itself down onto the hardwood floor just beyond. So you stand there for a few moments. You, you know, look, I actually do know how to fix a window and we even put in dual panes so it's gonna stay warmer now. Uh, but if you don't trust it, I I can call someone... No, I'm not. I trust it. I did good work. So go on in. I look down at my hovering foot and at the rainbow laces of my worn-out running shoes. I'm still wearing them. We did manage to get them a bit of a wash before I went on an airplane. Didn't want to answer those questions. And I just look at them for a moment and watch as my foot starts to shake from the exertion. And then I just take a step back. Well, that's not a pleasant thing to find out. I look at her, and I know exactly that look. Because I've had that a few times, and I've had many people I know have that look. So I close the door behind her. So, uh, we gonna ask your gabers, or... Because I offer you crash space, but Lane is the only one who's supposed to bring girls home. And that might Brewster, not... Brewster, I really, really need you to shut up right now, please. He shuts up. I am going to get through this. I have gotten through this before. Different circumstances, but it feels fairly similar. But right now, right now, I am going to go to my parents' house. And I'm going to sleep in the room that I slept in when I was a little girl. And I'm going to not be Rowan for a while, and I'm not going to be Special Agent Hodgson. i just be in a place where I can be Sam and not have to worry about holding things together for anyone, including myself. Sorry, I've Stop tried it. really- Nope, stop. Where are we going? <laughs> you don't have to- Shut up, where are we don't... going? And at that, Rowan just deflates and sits down on the, on the top stair hugging her knees and putting her forehead down on her arms and just starts crying. I hesitate for a second and then really not knowing what to do, what I can do, finally reach a hand out. And of course, the problem is she's too short, so I can't reach her shoulder. So it ends up just sort of patting her on the head. That actually gets a little bit of a watery laugh from Rowan. She looks up. She's a mess. Just tears and red eyes and too skinny and just a mess. But she does manage to wipe her eyes on her sleeve. Alameda. Uh, my parents live in Alameda. Alright, let's go. Would you... I don't have much of anything at my parents. Would you mind grabbing me a couple things? Sure. What do you need? 
and I'll give him a, a, a quick list, mostly a toothbrush and a couple of sets of clothes that I wear when I'm sick and hiding in the house. So your neighbors probably know where that stuff is better than me. Do you want me to rummage or you want me to get them? Um. Because, I mean, they're already looking at us. You realize that, right? I just look, tilt my head up. Shit. Hi. <laughs> Sorry. Um. You see Jonathan and Casey are standing in front of the glass storm door. They wave sheepishly. Wipe my eyes again and wave back. I am not sure I can handle much of a conversation. Would you mind asking them? You go to the car. I'll take care of it. Okay. Now reach up and grab his arm and use it as leverage to pull myself up between that and the handrail that's next to me. Lever myself up because I did not sleep on the plane and didn't really rest at Travis while we were doing all the medical tests. So I am just shaky with exhaustion. And I know that, but... She's still so light that it's just a surprise. I could pick her up with one hand if I needed to. That's also because I'm buff. I walk over to the storm door, wave at them. Jonathan unlocks the door and opens it. Hi. Hey, um, I'm going to take her to her parents. Uh, you mind grabbing a few things for her? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Uh, what what does she need? Like, usual, like, overnight type stuff? Yeah, and she said there's some kind of sick clothes or something that's comfortable. Oh, I know exactly. Yeah, this is why I said you should get it. I don't think she wants me rummaging through all her stuff. He kind of looks at you, squints and side eyes just a little bit, and then smiles. Yeah, let the gay guy look through her intimates. Uh, he smiles. Uh, you know... I'm just going to let that go. Okay, go ahead. Whatever. All right, I'll be right back. I think she wants the game theory sweats. Uh, sure. That sounds like a nerd thing. He heads off into the other side of the house, and Casey disappears into the darkness of their house. A few moments later, Jonathan comes out with a rainbow Ikea bag filled with clothing and various sundries. He hands it to you. All right, so she's got everything she needs in here. All the things that she needs. So if she needs anything else, she'll be surprised. I'm just the driver, so if she needs anything, I'll tell her to yell at you. Sounds good. Um, Where the hell did she get a Snuggie? Especially one with tacos on it. Um, You live next to her. Yeah, but I don't see her in a Snuggie. That's like private stuff. I'll stop now. It would have been private if you hadn't told me. Now I'm holding that over her, you know, once she's up for that. Yeah. Take care of her, okay? That's my job. She's good and stuff. Yeah, this is a job I like. Yeah, good job. Do it well. Those pants don't do anything for your ass. Happy Easter. And then he walks into the other side and smiles, and he walks with such sass. I turn around smack my ass and walk towards the truck. <laughs> you hear him laugh inside the house. Get into the truck, hand the bag over to Rowan in the passenger seat. Apparently, anything you need or might need is in here, and if it isn't, you can yell at him. Sounds like a plan. 
Uh, it sounds like it, he might have stuck some things in there that I didn't think of. You see some fast movement out of the corner of your right eye as Casey is running toward the pickup truck with a Ziploc baggie in his hands. My immediate reaction at seeing movement is to go tense and... I can't drop into a defensive stance when I'm sitting and I feel super vulnerable at the moment. And then I turn and look and, oh, it's Casey. And the adrenaline dump leaves my mouth tasting like copper. He taps on the window. Reach over and look at my hand. It's shaking. That's not fun. Reach over and roll the window down. Hey, darling, here's some leftover tamales. You need them. The ones with red are dessert tamales. And the ones that are marked with uh, blue are the chicken ones. Okay. Thank you. You okay? No. You will be. Yeah. It's just going to take a minute, but I'm going to get there. And he nods his head and backs away from the truck. You see Jonathan standing on the stoop and Casey rejoins him. They stand there side by side, holding on to each other and watch as the truck drives off. As we're driving toward Alameda, once we hit the freeway, I stick the bag down at my feet because I don't have the emotional energy to go through it right now. Hey, can I use your phone? Uh, yeah. Who are you going to call? Well, I'd like to not scare the shit out of my dad when I show up. Okay, that's a good idea, but the answer was Ghostbusters. Um, here, I reach into my pocket, hand it over. Just look up glasses. Your dad is old man glasses. Uh, your brothers are glasses brothers one, two, and three except for Glass's brother, Nurse. That makes a weird amount of sense, actually. Well, I, they gave me all the numbers at once, and I didn't actually know their names yet. And it just sort of stayed that way. And it's easier this way than I just type in G, and I have all of them there. Fair point. And I'll type in old, and tap on the contact for old man Glasses, and then hold the phone up to my ear. The phone picks up. White? Hi, Dad. Oh, hey, honey. Um, didn't expect to hear from you on this phone. Well, I haven't gotten mine back yet. I don't know where it is. Are you okay? No, I'm really not. Okay. We can come get you. Where do we need to pick you up? Uh, No need. Uh, Rooster uh, White is, uh, he's driving me to the house. Okay. Well, he was pretty good in helping getting the house fixed up. So everything should be okay for you at the house. He mentioned, it all looks, it looks great. I just, I can't sleep there right now. I can't even make myself go in the fucking door. Hmm. Okay. Well, you have a room here. It's a bit of a distance. Are you okay to drive that distance? He's driving, so I should be fine. Probably has a monster or two or energy drink or whatever, so he should be awake for a while. Yeah, we stopped at a gas station on the way. He's refilled. Okay. I'll tell your mother to make sure your room is all ready. She had some things on on your bed, but we'll we'll get it squared away. You got a couple hours. Yeah, yeah, driving from Sacramento to Alameda. It's it's a bit of a ways. I just wanted to make sure I didn't scare the hell out of you showing up at the door. No, I'm glad that you'll be here. Um, don't tell the boys yet. Don't tell the boys what. (laughs) Thank you. All right, I'll I'll see you soon. Okay, I'll see you soon. Love you. Love you. And hang up, hand Rooster's phone back to him, and curl up into the passenger seat, watching the road go by outside. You, uh, you want quiet? 
because I actually got a few songs that might be decent. Yeah, sure. Go ahead and... And that she's playing with the chain of her necklace, just stimming over and over again. Uh, sound would be good right now. So, put on a playlist I had ready. And first song comes on is Here's to Us by Hailstorm. You drive through the night and arrive in Alameda. Samantha's parents' house, the Hodgson Homestead, is opposite of Franklin Park in Alameda. It's one of those houses that have been there for ages. It's a good-sized home, many bedrooms, and it's a quiet neighborhood. There are quite a few cars parked along the street here as well, which isn't abnormal. I'm going to look around and see if I recognize any of the cars as we're pulling up. You recognize almost all of the cars. Yeah, I kind of figured that might be the case and just like, ah, someone called the boys. I didn't do it. You had my phone. I gave it back to you, but I also would have seen you if you did. So I know it wasn't you. All right. Well, I get to deal with seeing their sister have a complete breakdown again. Cool. We haven't done this in a few years. I guess I'll let you head over. I'll wait here. Or do you want me to walk you up? I mean, it's not prom, but if you need me to, like, escort you back to the door. Would you mind walking me up to the house? I'm feeling antsy, and that would help. The front porch light turns on, and the front door opens. Stephen Hodgson walks out and looks at the truck with the two of you in it. He has a relieved posture. Shit, they caught us. (laughs) Shut up. And I'm going to pop out of the truck and not run. I don't have any run left in me right now, but make my way up to my dad as quickly as I can and just drop my head on on his chest. He wraps you in a velvet-like hug, and it's tight. You may try to wiggle a little bit to get more comfortable, and it doesn't happen. He holds you tight and maybe a little too tight at times. But you know that if you tap three times, then he might release. I know that, but I don't. I can't even imagine what he's gone through having to deal with the same thing twice in a lifetime. So I stand there and I let him hug me a little bit too tight. And the front of his shirt gets rather wet because I start crying again. You hear the door open up behind him. And you feel yourself getting squished from the other side as you feel your mom wrap the both of you in a, in a hug as well. Steven gives you a kiss on the top of your head, grabs you by your shoulders, and pushes you back just a little bit. Your room is ready. We have extra haagen in the freezer, and the boys are in the living room. They've been home the entire time. <laughs> I guess that's not too much of a surprise. Uh, I, should, I should get my stuff from the truck. Uh, And the glance back at the truck. Rooster hands you the bag. You're awfully quiet when you want to be. I'm a sniper. Fair point. All right. um, I'm going to go put on pajamas and see my brothers and eat Haagen-Dazs. And I'm actually going to hand the bag to my dad for a second and walk over and hug Rooster really hard. Well, as hard as I can at the moment. I uh, awkwardly pat her for a second, but it doesn't last too long until I'm just hugging her back because she's back. And after a moment, I pull back and look up at him. 
I'm not crying. You're crying. I'm leaving. Yes, I am crying, and you're crying too. Fucking deal with it. No. And I just turn and walk away. Wait. Uh, about face and attention. Yes, sir. Your mother takes you inside. She shuttles you inside and brings the rainbow Ikea bag in with you and closes the door. Stephen takes a few steps, looking very stern. His shoulders are square. He puts out his hand to shake yours. As emotional as everything's been tonight, this actually does strike me odd because I've never had a girl's father want to talk to me before. But training overrides that, and I take his hand, pump once. His handshake is very strong, very firm. Thank you. And he draws you in faster than you could imagine, shaking you a little bit off and gives you a hug. Not one of the one-armed hugs, but it's an over-under hug, and it's tight. Just for a moment, and he steps back before you can reciprocate. You see his eyes glisten in the streetlight. He has a couple tears going down his face. You want a beer? Not on mission, sir. Mission's over. You brought her home. Still have to exfil. Have to make it home myself. It's late. You can crash here. Yes, sir, I can. Thank you. I won't. I... I'll let the family be together. He regards you and look looks down a little bit. Okay. Thank you again. I appreciate it, but you'll never need to. Not for this. Maybe someday when you have children of your own, you'll understand. Or someone that you care about more than anything else in this world, you'll understand. I don't tell him that I can understand and let him have that one, but give him a nod and turn back towards the truck. He walks back to the house and walks kind of quickly. Rowan, inside, your brothers are standing in the living room. Rick comes over to you, looks you up and down. You look like shit. You need Pedialyte. He squeezes your arm a little bit. Uh, you been checked out? Yes, uh, I have a doctor on my team. He had a look. All right. He's 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 not thrilled, uh, and I got quite a talking to, but here we are. Tomorrow we're going to do a saline drip if you're going to be here for a couple days. We're going to get more fluids into you. Yeah, I'll I'll be here for a few days, I think. He gives you a hug. Damn, you lost weight, too. Scrawny little shit. I can still kick your ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi, guys. I'm back. Um, I'm gonna go put my pajamas on. I heard rumor of haagen They all lift up their own. Oh, good. I'll be right back. And I go upstairs to put on my, my game theory sweats and my oversized t-shirt and just for good measure because I am way too skinny and it's cold in here. I put on my Snuggie and pull the hood up. Jonathan included toothbrush, feminine products, hairspray, even a small compact of makeup and a pair of house slippers that you don't know where they came from, but they look like frogs. Just hold them up, one in either hand. You're not getting these back, Jonathan. And I stick my feet into them and go shuffling downstairs. The TV is on. The guys are all around the TV. Your mom looks at you. Here's some ice cream. Do you want anything else? The doc made sure that I got some nutrient something or other. I don't know. I'm not the medical person. I, I was sitting with an IV in my arm for a while. So I'm fine as far as that goes. I just... Then I take the ice cream. 
sugar. Okay, sugar's good. She gives you a kiss on the head, wraps you in a deep hug. We're home. It's really good to be home. All of the boys regard you. They all ask you how you're doing. None of them press for any details yet. You can tell it's coming. Oh, yeah. They want to know who did this. Yeah. And I don't have a good answer for that. So for now, I'm going to take the win in the form of watching dumb television squish between my brothers on the couch. Peter is like right at my shoulder and enjoy my ice cream. Where did Rooster go? He got in the truck, drove towards the Park Street Bridge, and as soon as he crossed, turned around and headed back. And at this point, the truck is parked across the street from the Hodgson house, down the block in front of the pools. An hour or so passes, and you're keeping stakeout. And then from behind your vehicle, you hear a tapping on the driver's side window. The back end of a flashlight is tapping on the window. You look in the mirror and you see Stephen Hodgson is standing there. I roll down my window, put both hands on the wheel, and say, No, officer, I promise I was not drinking. I know because you turned down my beer, but you're still out here an hour later. Mission's not over, sir. You can stand down. Mission is over. Come inside. It... I know she's safe. This part's for me. And this part is for me. With that, you see fanning out from behind him the four of the Hodson boys. Please get out of the vehicle, Mr. White. <clears throat> Please step out of the vehicle. Does that sound like it's more official? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I hop out. Roll up your window. This place is pretty good with crime, but I don't want anybody trying to take any change from your car. Change? I, that... Wow, I don't think I've used that in like 10 years, but yeah, yeah. Roll up the window, lock the truck. He steps back and, and looks at you, and the other boys step forward. It seems like it's five on one. There is a level of intimidation here. And then you see the oldest one, Stephen Jr., break into a smile, put his hand out as he's walking toward you. Yeah, there's no way around it anymore. I go ahead and take the hand. He shakes your hand and he laughs. The rest of them all follow suit. They're all less stern than their dad, but you can tell they all have that. They can all turn it on if need be. Then again, it's a family of sheriffs, except for Rick, who's the nurse. I mean, this is Glass's family. I That goes without saying. Rick looks at you. Come on, let's go get a beer. You deserve it. I apparently don't have the option to say no anymore, so, uh, sure, yeah, let, let's go with that. Nope, no option to say no. The only answer is yes. Unless you don't drink beer, and then that's okay, too. Yeah, no, I, I drink. Alright, come on. And they all move you to their house. You're caught up in the crowd, almost as though it's a concert. Even if you wanted to turn around, you can't. The energy here is a good, happy energy. They feel relieved. There's some underlying sadness, but overall, they're happy, and they bring you into their home. They take you into the kitchen, and there is a large, white, marble island. They produce a can of beer, and each of them all has their own, and lifts it up to you, and cheers to you. Thank you for bringing her home. I lift mine in return. 
then tap it on the counter for absent friends before taking a swig. It tastes good. It's been a while since you had one. You see Samantha's mother, Mrs. Hodgson, come out, and she's got pillows and a duvet, and she puts them on the couch. She walks over to you, and you see the boys kind of step back, and Stephen, the father, takes a step next to his wife. She looks at you. You're staying here for the night. You can't be driving home. It's too late. You've already had a beer. You're now impaired. Yes, ma'am. She just nods one quick up and down and then grabs you by the wrist and walks you toward the couch. She puts the remote in your hand. Keep it low. Keep it below 15. Some of us still have to sleep. Yes, ma'am. She touches your cheek gently. Thank you for bringing my girl home. Brewster doesn't have anything to say. Now, when I meet the other gentlemen that helped, they will get the same treatment. Oh, I sure as hell hope so. Rowan, it's about 3 a.m. Your throat is parched. You realize that in your room, you did not have a full glass of water. You've, you drank down the other one pretty quickly. And you're, you wake up. And I wake up with a little bit of a gasp because, yeah, the dreams are back. Not a fan, but eh, it beats the alternative. So I lay there for a moment, staring at the ceiling, reorienting myself. You know that point when you wake up and you've got a song stuck in your head and it doesn't go away until you say it? And each step you sing, and then you catch yourself, but it won't go away. But it's not creepy. It's kind of comfy in a weird, weird way mutters something in very foul Russian under my breath, a kind of language that would have my mom smacking me if she heard me at the moment. You realize that their bedroom door is open, and although you hear her snoring, she kind of grunts just a little bit. Sorry, Mom. Get up very carefully and slip my feet back into the slippers because the kitchen tile is very cold this time of night. And wrap the Snuggie around myself as I shuffle down the stairs as quietly as I can, because I come from a family of cops. Everyone sleeps pretty light, especially when they're on edge about something, and I don't want to wake anyone up. As you head downstairs, as you're coming down the stairs, you see a blue glow coming from the living room. Someone is up watching TV in the dark. Come and stick my head around the corner. And you see in the corner of the couch with a duvet kind of haphazardly tossed over his lap and a pillow under an arm. You see Rooster is sitting there watching a home improvement television show. Who are you and what have you done with Rooster? I see you came home after curfew and you're already sneaking out. Mm, I'm not the lawful good one in the family. What are you watching? Treehouse Masters. The dude's kind of nuts and he builds shit. Huh. Don't look at me like that. Lena likes plants, okay? Yeah, fair enough. I'll be right back. I'm going to go into the kitchen, fill two large glasses with water, come back and hand one to Rooster. Knowing my brothers, someone plied you with a bunch of beer. Have some water. Uh, no, they ordered me to have one. And then your mom told me I was impaired, and she scares me. She's good at that. She's very good at that. Sit down on the couch next to him tuck my knees up to my chest and sit there watching. 
Come here. Then I put my arm up. People are going to talk. People can talk all they want. I'm exclusive, remember? So you are. And just like flop against him with all of my weight, which is just not enough, but it's enough to make the point. I hold my glass up to her. Here's to us, glasses. Here's to us, rooster. And I tap my water glass against his. 